The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. Apologies for that minor technicality. We'll have the full news update at 11 o'clock. We're going to continue with our conversation looking at the a change in suicide rates and in particular the concern around what is an escalating um, rate of suicide, especially among young males, uh, is really the picture that is emerging. Guy Chanels is the general manager and head of product at Discovery Employee Benefits. Uh, Tracy Feinstein is the call center manager for the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. Guy, I, I want to bring this conversation back to you and um, I want us to look in in particular given you know I, I know that the, these numbers are solely for those that are employed and who have some form of medical cover right uh, regardless of what plan they might be on but the point is that they have some form of, of, of medical cover are we able to paint a picture of what then the status might be sort of beyond this group that um, that you have surveyed as as dis- discovery from a fr- from an analysis point of view. Mm. Um, actually, um, our statistics cover people many of whom do not have any medical cover, and I think in in the sort of income bracket that we discussed earlier, the below. 250,000 a year or below 21 odd thousand rand a month um, bracket. Many of them won't have any medical cover. What um, what employers often do provide, though, is access to an employee assistance program, which gives employees um, the ability, right, to reach out for, for um, support if they are um, uh, you know, facing real challenges on a number of um, kind of dimensions in their life, financial, um, health, emotional. Um, and what you see generally in employee assistance programs is just incredibly low levels of utilization, certainly levels of utilization that don't reflect the general statistics in South Africa about how many people are experiencing symptoms of depression. You know, I've, I've heard statistics as as high as one in three people in South Africa experience some symptoms of depression, and yet utilization rates on employee assistance programs are usually in the order of 5% of employees or so, so one in 20. Um, and uh, I, I had a very interesting uh, anecdotal experience the other day, working with a large employer that we insure, um, and where we do happen to also have medical aid cover, as well as Discovery's employee assistance program, which is because it's integrated with everything, it's much more proactive than than um, other programs like it. Um, and so we see extremely high levels of engagement and utilization in, in all of those programs, mm. in the employee assistance programs, reaching out to psychologists, et cetera, and accessing those free resources um, and on Discovery Health Medical Scheme getting um, proper care. But what is really interesting, we were looking at the statistics for this employer because their rates of disability because of um, uh, depression and mental um, conditions had risen dramatically and they'd had their first suicide. They'd never had a suicide before. They had their first suicide. So we were looking at what's driving this. Mm. And when we unpacked it, we saw that 
of the nine people who had gone on disability because of mental well-being uh, related issues, not one of them had accessed the employee assistance program resources, the free psychology support that was available to them, and not one of them had accessed what we call um, um, the mental care program on Discovery Health Medical Scheme, which accesses uh, or opens up uh, additional pathways for people who are um, who are facing challenges and helps them helps them through that. Mm. So for me, it tells a story which aligns again in, in with the assumption that in the low income space, people really don't have awareness or access. The story is that people are not aware of or feeling like they can access the help that they need, um, even when it is there. Um, so that feels to me like the, the job to be done is to make sure that the mm. access is there. And in an employed population, it really is possible to do that. Um, and then the awareness and destigmatization is so, so critical. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think that the role of destigmatization is also key because many people um, could well not make a distinction between these services that are offered by the employer but don't necessarily report back to, um, you know, a line manager. So if if mm. if I'm not going to take up counselling, if I think that there will be some kind of report that's shared with my line manager about oh. how my counselling sessions are going, and that level of you know mistrust, I think, um, will will be there. When you sat down with your colleagues yeah. to try and and perhaps understand why there were such low utilization rates, why what were some of the uh, you know scenarios that that you came up with? Um, interestingly, so actually, the, as I mentioned, but I mentioned it brief, very quickly, the utilization rates were actually quite high, higher than in most employers. Okay, so it wasn't actually an issue of general awareness. The issue was that the people who act, some people who really needed it for whatever reason weren't using it. Um, and so my my assumption there is, and this needs to be tested, is that, and it is a very proactive employer, that they are doing the hard work of awareness, but that there are people who are struggling with their mental health and for, may, for example, for the reason that you've cited, may perhaps feel that they can't reach out to help for help. Um, it's really, for anyone listening, it's important to know those employee assistance programs provided by your employer, the bedrock of those programs is anonymity. So th those programs will never share um, person level information back with the employer. They'll only share high level statistics. 10% of your employees um, have called in for mental health conditions, That those kind of statistics. Um, so that's really important to know. And that um, should be part of the awareness campaigns that are driven so that it reduces at least that barrier um, uh, for for individuals. Sorry, Guy, go ahead. I wanted to say that I think there's also a particular kind of um, cultural dynamic. Um, perhaps you would know this already that um, males in South Africa are about four times more likely to commit suicide than females, much higher uh, levels of suicide for males. Um, and if you look at that statistic on its own, you think, gosh, you know, men have higher prevalence of mental health conditions or depression or something. 
But on the other end of the scale, um, we have another product that pays out an income if you are disabled due to any kind of health condition. And it also covers um, depression um, and other mental conditions. And there, females are about four times more likely, three point something times more likely to claim on a disability income uh, product for mental health conditions than males. But if you looked at that statistic on its own, you'd say, well, mental health prevalence is worse amongst females. Actually, if you put them together, you realize that mental health prevalence is not the issue. The issue is who reaches out for help. And there's clearly a cultural impediment for, in general, I mean, this is an, in general statistic for uh, young, um, less affluent males in this country to reach out for, for help. Um, and so something culturally is preventing people from, from feeling that they can access help, that they can talk about these issues and admit mm. to these issues. Mm. Oh, Guy, it's it's a good place for us to to, to move on to. Tracy, uh, let me bring you in here. From from what you are able to track ascetic, why is it so difficult um, for some males and also I would say some women to reach out because um, from what I'm hearing guys say, the general consensus is that those that are struggling the most seem to be using the services they need to less, um, services that could well help um, as an intervention to their situation. Why is that the case? with everything that Guy has said, you know, especially on the utilization of employee wellness services, which a lot of the big corporates um, have, I think the challenge um, that is needed, um, and it's something that I think corporates, medical aides, even SADAG, we continue to work with, is to encourage people that it's not really a quick fix. Um, so, when people are calling in, and if they were to be using any of the employee wellness services, um, there's a combination of things which perhaps affect them from utilizing the full benefit that they do have access to. When we're talking about people that are employed, there's always that element of, I'm a survivor, I'm strong, I'm going to get through this, um, I'm not, I don't need to take more sick leave. Um, never mind the anonymity that we, we mentioned, you know, breaking the stigma and just feeling you can talk about it and it doesn't affect your workplace. So that stuff is real. And, you know, you don't just talk of, of over depression, have a few sessions, maybe take some medication and it suddenly goes away. Um, because we go back into the same environment in the workplace. So there, there really is very structured um, and therapeutic methods that are needed to to be embraced um, by the individual suffering. And, you know, there's tr different triggers for everybody. Um, you know, I just want to talk about something as simple as as a loss of a loved one. You know, it is, it's probably pretty normal to feel depressed at that time. Um, but for some people, together with the stress of work, financial stress, um, and a combination of even relationship issues, suddenly the normal sadness um, of grief turns into something that much bigger and they're not able to cope with it. Um, and I think 
one of the things that we realize when we're dealing with this, you know, taking your mental health seriously and getting real long-term help should play out over a good many months, six months, a year sometimes. And in the fast-paced business world, we kind of all relate this to, you know, if I can't see the stitches, if, I, if, the, if the bone is broken and then it's healed, six weeks, I'm okay, I'm back on track. And this is not the case, and I think this is why there's also um, lack of utilization of the services. It's difficult to get back into um, rehabilitation centers, you know, like psychiatric hospitals for for long-term treatment. And we all just expect a quick fix. Um, to endorse what has been said, there are these services available, like employee wellness and um, SADAC plays an integral role where we support people who are phoning us. Um, and when we ask the simple questions, for example, like, do you have medical aid? Do you have access to an employee wellness program? Um, there's a lot of people that say yes, but they don't know how to ask the question. How do I ask for help? Um, and I think it's something as simple and as complicated as that is that there's language barriers, there's cultural diversity barriers that we're facing. And the simplicity of, you know, how do I ask for help? I know I'm battling. I'm on the brink of something. I'm concerned about it. I'm scared about it. But they don't know how to ask for help. And um, I know that there is so much collaboration being done between SADAG and corporates and utilization of apps. Um, I think together with the media, we've just got to continue to have these important conversations because today, you know, if one person is listening, they will actually know that there is help. And if they don't know how, where to start or how to start, just even phone FedEx, go on your discovery app, you know, explore it. Um, and I think this is where we will continue to just see an improvement, even though existing statistics are incredibly high. We just have to persevere and we have to make it better and easier for people to get access to help. Tracy, when it comes to the stigma that is often associated um, with, you know, uh, mental wellness just more broadly, even before mm. one can even be uh, diagnosed with a mental illness or form, do you find that people are reluctant to also engage if they believe that whatever condition they might be facing may be used to um, may be used to influence their employment status or even um, their capacity to be able to do the job. Mm. There definitely is still that, and it is a stigma, um, and we continue to need to, you know, to work through that. Um, we do a lot of communication with workplace environments so that we're able to try and break that stigma um, and give people platforms, you know, where they can get help. Um, even, you know, we've done a lot of work with um, San Gormas and witch doctors um, within the cultural space. We have people who are not sure, you know, is the person, have they been blessed with the gift or is this a mental illness? And again, you know, this is, SADAG has access to so many of these different resources where somewhere, somehow, we can actually tap into a place, an option, where we can refer somebody and they can feel like, okay, this makes sense to me. I can connect and I can get help. I cannot stress enough that... A lot of what we're talking about today is to do with suicide. Um, 
but it all starts with depression and if we can recognize those early warning signs of depression and realize depression doesn't discriminate it doesn't say ace race you know race age gender location anything it can hit any one of us at any time and especially when we're looking at people who are employed who are normally professional, they're proud, they feel like I've got this, I can get through this tough time. Sometimes we just push ourselves a little bit too far. So asking for help is not a weakness and people really should not feel alone. All right. We've got a couple of um, listeners that have also sent in voice notes just on this issue. I want to play those in a moment, but uh, we can do that after this break. All right. In fact, oh, okay. We'll pause it there. <laughs> we, 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 there is no break, which is great. Um, l- let me play some of these WhatsApp voice notes that have come through uh, from our listeners on this issue. Hi, Kathy. Um, so, what I would like um, to request is to actually um, help us as ordinary citizens to help another person who approaches you to say they feel suicidal. What are you supposed to do? besides saying it's great that you are reaching out for help, but what what are the steps we can follow? What, are, what do we need to say to reassure the person that we're getting the proper help and assistance? Thank you. Good morning, Kathy. Yeah, really interesting discussion on the suicides. Maybe what you could ask your guest is, what was the age bracket of some of those people in comparison to their salary brackets because you know sometimes people move up the ranks they get these huge salaries but they're not emotionally geared to handle the job pressures and even though they've got the money they still can't handle the emotions and yeah and then suicide is yeah their option mentally uh good morning katie uh this topic you're speaking about today oh it touched me it really it really touches me um, so my mom passed away in 2012 and from there, from that point on, I think I lost, uh, you know, the sense of living. So from that day till now, I've tried to consult outside like almost nine times, um, get to hospital to st- stitch me up or they drain me from the pills I drank. And then you see the psychologist just after you've done, after you've been uh, discharged, you see the psychologist once and then that's it. You know, I've, I've been continuously trying to reach out to get help, but there's a difference between reaching out and actually getting the help that you need. So I just feel that as much as we are, we are aware about suicide being being rife in our, in, in our society, communities, people just think that you're crazy. You go to hospitals, you don't find the help that you think you might be getting. So it's just... Sure. Wow. Uh, some different uh, experiences there from, from our listeners. Uh, Tracy, let me perhaps begin with you to give um, advice, especially for somebody like the last listener. And, and the first one, you know, how, what must I do if I'm, if I'm not getting the help that, that I think I need? Mm, mm, mm. So, in a nutshell, you know, every situation and every case is slightly different. So I'm going to say you know, please reach out to SADAG. You know, whether you've got medical aid or not, we can guide you. But I think there are important key factors that when somebody has attempted to end their life, first and foremost, there is a physical component that has to be treated and and looked at. Um, 
And a lot of people are, are scared to like say, oh, this is what I tried to do this morning, last night, you know, an hour ago, um, because they're worried about being, in inverted commas, locked up or put away in the hospital. That's not going to happen. But there's a, there's a physical component that has to be treated. So either the person needs to have their stomach cleaned out, um, they may need stitches. Once the physical component is taken care of and the doctor gives a clear red light for that, we then need to get help and therapy intervention needs to take place. And um, again, in the quick society that we live in, a lot of people think, okay, well, they're out of hospital, they must be better. No, it was just the physical side that has been sorted. We now need to move into therapy. And that needs to take place over a, you know, quite a few sessions. To the last caller who, who left a voice note, um, if you guys have access and you want to reach out to me individually after the show, let's see if we can help this gentleman to, to get the support that he really needs. For when we're talking about loved ones who are, are feeling suicidal, it is a myth that, number one, talking about suicide is going to increase the suicide risk. That is not true. But secondly, what is not true is when people are talking about ending their life, they're just looking for attention. That is also not true. So if somebody alludes to the fact that they are not happy, that they're feeling desperate, they're in a dark space, or they even mention the words that they are thinking of ending their life, do not leave them alone. Reach out, either to say that, take them to a hospital, um, and the doctor on duty and ca casualty will do the assessment, and if need be, an admission will take place, and psychiatric support will come in. Um, Everyone is so unique and every situation is slightly different, but those are pretty general comments which hopefully will help um, the callers that are listening today. And, and more specifically, uh, Tracy, the question of what to do when somebody comes to you and says that, you know, I, I'm, I, I may be suicidal. Mm -mm. And it's, it's quite scary, you know, so if this is a friend, a colleague or, or a, a partner, close family member, um, this is where part of the stigma breaks, you know, is, is, is happening all the time. What do we do? And we tend to feel scared because we want to fix their world. And we can't. The only thing that you do is just sit and listen and give them a hug and say, listen, I'm going to hold your hand through this. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what you need, but I'm going to walk the journey with you. So if they feel that they need to make a phone call to find out where do they even start, um, they may not even know how to utilize their particular medical aid app, okay? Um, make a phone call to SADAG. Um, we have our helplines available 24-7. We have WhatsApp chat lines. We have an SMS. Um, so sit with the person and say, listen, I'm going to hold your hand. If you're comfortable having me here, let's phone SADAG. I'll put the phone on speakerphone and they'll tell us where to start. But most important is don't brush it off, don't leave them alone, and don't think, well, I'll wait for tea and I'll see them tomorrow. Um, these things are happening at a pace, and we really need to be alerted that um, we need to feel a lot more caring, mm -hmm. compassionate, and kind over this December season. Um, the holiday season is difficult for people that, that are battling depression. All right, Tracy, thanks for that input. Guy, let me give you a chance to come in here and respond uh, to the aspects of uh, the issues that our listeners have raised that you think you can uh, bring some light to. 
Thanks, Kathy. Maybe just the one is um, to remind people that many employers do provide an employee assistance program. Um, and uh, most of those programs have access to a trained psychologist for um, a usual number up to eight mm -hmm. sessions. Um, so, I mean, one sort of practical question, I totally support um, contacting Selig, but one place that they may send you or that you could just ask the person to find out is does their em employer provide such a service? Um, and if they do, they can they can also access that to get um, to get trained psychologist support. Yeah, and you know one of the big questions, Guy. I, I think even just from from a data point of view that we'll have to watch as as the years go on is the extent to which then um, the lack of you know uh, significant changes in people's incomes. What impact does that also then continue to have? On, on the suicide rate. I, I'm just thinking about it now, you know, if, if, if you have the increased interest rates, people that are privileged enough to have houses, to have car loans, um, and, and even to have debt, those are, ha, have only been going higher. So yes, people might be working, but at the end of the day, they might not have much to actually be able to live um, meaningful lives or, or to provide for for their needs and, and the burden of that I can imagine is astrom is astronomical yeah yeah I mean I can say that it, it really isn't an exclusively um, lower income issue I just mm -hmm. highlighted that as where the kind of most dramatic increase is coming in but certainly in all income brackets we see it going up um, I mean on our data we saw even a, a huge increase in those earning between 500,000 and a million a year I mean those are affluent people you know upper managers in organizations but what you point out is so true Kathy that they also people that are, are sometimes seriously financially leveraged mm. um, meaning that they've got big houses with bonds they've got uh, possibly other loans to pay for education or other or other things and as interest rates have gone up and inflation has gone up, um, the, the, the they can have massive swings in their affordability that are then just these huge holes that you don't know how to get out of. Um, and again, the sort of stigma and embarrassment of having got into such a big financial hole, um, I think can, can really be devastating for some people. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let me thank you all for coming on to the show and having this conversation with us, Guy Chanels and Tracy Feinstein. Tracy, very quickly, um, just uh, contact details for SADC, please, for our listeners. Hello, Tracy. Um, if you can just get permission, I'm happy to phone them. You can send right. me a WhatsApp. You know, that one guy at the end, um, that one voice note. You've got my details. WhatsApp, call me. Um, we'll make a plan to connect right. with them. All right. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, Thanks, We'll leave it there for that conversation. A big thank you to Guy and Tracy for making time to speak with us this hour.